0: up your bibles and turn with me to hebrews chapter 11 hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be today specifically we're going to be in hebrews chapter 11 verses 23 through verse 31 hebrews eleven, twenty-three 23 through 31 if you would church family please stand with me for the reading of god's word If you don't have a Bible uh, with you, it will be on the screen as well. You can follow along there. And uh, I said this last week, I'll say it again. If you don't own a Bible, uh, find one in one of the pews near you uh, and take that as a free gift from us to you. We want you to have a Bible and are are gladly willing to replace those in the pews so that you might have a Bible. So uh, consider that our gift to you if you don't own a Bible. But with that being said, let us look today at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 and following. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward by faith. He left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the fa- the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is the word of the Lord. You You may be seated. Bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the examples that you have given us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Lord, these great examples of faith. And Lord, we ask today that we might make good use of these examples. That we might, let, might not let them go in one ear, out the other. That they might not serve for us as cute or fun stories from the Old Testament. And be reminded of those. But Lord, through these examples that we might see the power of your goodness and the commitment that you have to your, to your people and to your promises. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start today by maybe reminding some of you who are a little bit older, um, or if you're roughly my age, uh, back in the 90s, and you will also remember some of these things. Uh, back in the, in the 90s and, and before then, there were these things called infomercials. And for those of you who are uh, younger in here, you might not know what an infomercial is. You maybe know what a commercial is. Um, But in today's day and age, we are so accustomed to uh, having YouTube Red and and Netflix and uh, Hulu Plus and all these things that that ads and commercials have largely become a thing of the past to us. In fact, if you're like me and you have YouTube and uh, you pull up a video to watch and you don't pay for YouTube Red, uh, then you are forced to endure whatever ads they send your way. And it pops up at the bottom of the screen. You can skip the ad in five seconds, right? But doesn't that five seconds feel like an eternity to us today? Like I have to sit through this ad for five whole seconds before I can skip it? But that's, that's what we're accustomed to nowadays, right? The ads and, and commercials have largely become a thing of the past uh, for most of us in here today, except for when the Super Bowl rolls around and then we're happy to, to watch all those fun ads. But it used to be the case that if you were going to watch TV, then you had no choice but to watch commercials. They were a part of the deal. They were a part of the game. And in fact, there were some commercials that were essentially super commercials. They were like 30-minute, 45-minute long, hour-long commercials that we called infomercials. And I don't know if you remember some of these infomercials, uh, but there were some really cool products advertised on these infomercials. Products such as the Ginsu knife. If you remember the Ginsu knife, this knife could cut through a shoe. It could carve its way through a four-by-four and then still slice your tomato with ease. It gets sharper the longer you use it, they say. I don't know how that's possible. Or the ShamWow, if you remember the ShamWow commercials. And this dude who's as energetic a, a guy as you could possibly find is showing you how he can dump all this water out and wipe it all up and wring it out and then use it to clean up... Soda out of the carpet and and it just keeps drying and keeps drying and keeps drying. It was the sham. Wow or My personal favorite perhaps the greatest of all time OxyClean Good old Billy Mays. boy, he knew how to advertise a product didn't he? Never seen someone take a a vat of dirty water and make it look so clean and do it with such pizzazz and such enthusiasm as as Billy Mays he said uh, don't just clean it, oxyclean it, right? And we remember these infomercials and, and just the, the wild uh, claims that were made by these, these salesmen and these pitches that we saw in these commercials and in these infomercials. But when you think about what the point of these commercials was, it was really a, a brilliant strategy of marketing. The strategy was, hey, let's not just describe our product to people let's not worry about giving them all of the details as far as how it's made or, or what the chemicals are in it or this or that let's get the most dramatic the most mind-blowing demonstration of these things that we can that we can muster up maybe it's a little bit of a fib that's okay just make it look as amazing and as and as dramatic as possible and and what will happen is people will see this product works and they'll buy the product, and it worked. I mean, believe it or not, people bought Ginsu knives, and they bought Sham Wows, and they bought OxyClean, and some of the products were good products, and they were fine. Some of them, not so much, uh, but the fact remains that this marketing tactic was a good marketing tactic, and the reason it was a good marketing tactic was because the point behind them was to convince the consumer, to convince you watching this commercial that this product was not a gamble. You don't have to wonder if this product works or not. Let me demonstrate for you what this product does. Let me demonstrate to you the value and the effectiveness of this product and what it produces. This is essentially in a... a very loosely related way, but I think still understandably, this is kind of what the Holy Spirit does for us in Hebrews chapter 11. As he is giving us example after example after example of faith, the faith of these Old Testament saints and what it is that it wrought and what it brought for them, what it produced in their lives and in the lives of the people of God, we ought to to come to the conclusion that this faith is great that this this face this faith produces goodness this faith is no gamble but is trustworthy it's a pretty common objection from people who reject christianity that what is put forward in the bible is what they call a blind faith that is it is an acceptance of a premise without any evidence backing it up without any reason actually given for us to believe it a premise without evidence or reason or perhaps even evidence or reason to the contrary even if you shouldn't believe this believe it but we have to ask the question is that actually the faith that we are presented with in the bible is that the faith that these heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11 had? Was it a blind faith? Is that what we are called to as Christians? To lay aside reasoning? To ignore evidence to the contrary? Or, or whether or not we have any reason, just believe it blindly? I would argue the answer is no. The answer is no. This is not at all the case. Rather, what we have in Scripture is Ample proof, ample evidence, and reasons to trust in the goodness of God and in his promises. The faith that we have presented to us in the scriptures, and especially emphasized here in Hebrews 11, is a faith that is backed by the promises of God. A faith that is proven throughout history. That is the purpose that the Holy Spirit writes here, giving us this chapter so that we might see the power of faith and what it produces and that it might grow us, bolster our confidence in the promises of God. So specifically today in this section of Hebrews that we have before us, Hebrews 11, 23 and following, we have certain certain, uh, things that are produced, certain truths that are true and produced by faith that I want us to see today, three to be specific. And the first thing I want us to see today of what it is that faith, specifically this kind of saving faith, produces, and that is that by this faith, God blesses his people. We see this starting in verse 23. In verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The first thing that we see presented here and and seeing how God blesses his people by their faith is we see the courage of two specific people. I know Moses is the one who's actually mentioned here, but if we're really understanding this passage correctly, we'll know that what really is the faith being magnified here and put forward is the faith of his parents. His parents' names are probably names that you don't even know, but I think that's kind of a shame. His parents' names were Amram and Jochebed. That's probably why you don't know their names, because their names are Amram and Jochebed. But these two parents, Amram and Jochebed, demonstrated their great faith that they had in the promises of God by what they did. Because if you recall the situation, what was happening in in Egypt at this time that that Moses was born? Moses, the one who God was going to use to lead the people out of Egypt, was born at the most inopportune time. He was born in the middle of this time when the Pharaoh had laid down a decree and edict saying that all the males born of the Hebrews, born of the Israelites, were to be killed. They were to be thrown into the Nile. They were to be executed, murdered. And it was at this time that Moses was born to Amram and Jochebed. This was a, a terrible situation here that he was born, and it was a terrible situation for his parents to be in, where they were now left with this choice. By saving this child, by saving Moses, they were risking death itself. And yet, in the face of a decree from Pharaoh taking their life into their hands and risking death, this mother and father chose not to obey Pharaoh, but instead to obey God and risk it all for this little bitty child even though by doing so they were in direct opposition to Pharaoh. In Egypt, that was not done. Pharaoh was a god. He was not one to be reckoned with, not one to go against his will, and yet here, this mother and father are doing exactly that. The Bible says that they did not fear the Pharaoh's edict. This is a, a pretty countercultural thing, in our culture, specifically here today, as in in our country. The irony of this passage and of what was happening in the book of Exodus at this time is not lost on me. That in this time a decree had gone out from the Pharaoh in order to suppress the Israelites, in order to suppress the Hebrews, that all the male children be killed. And the irony of our situation today is that now it is considered to be an oppression if the right to kill children is not allowed. What a reversal this is from what the Bible describes as oppression, what the Bible describes as persecution, that now we view as a right, as a necessity, and to be denied that right, that necessity, is to be persecuted, is to be oppressed. But not Amram and Jacobed, They knew the truth. They knew the value of human life. More than that, they saw that this son was a gift from God, and their fear of God led them to preserve the life of this child. That is what was driving these parents, to preserve the life of this baby. It was their fear of the Lord. The Bible says that that they did not fear the the edict of the Pharaoh, but I, I wonder if that was really true. Is it true that that there was no fear in their heart at all? Like they had no concern for their life or no concern that they might be in danger? I'm sure that was the case. But what we we ought to see from their example and what the passage would have us see here today, that while they might have feared this edict, the fear of the Lord that was in their hearts far outweighed their fear of Pharaoh. It outweighed it to the point that fear of Pharaoh disappeared in the face of their fear of the Lord to the point that it was worth it to risk even death to save this child. The concept that Jesus taught his disciples more than a a thousand years later in Matthew chapter 10 was familiar to these godly parents even though they had not yet heard it spoken by Christ. There in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It was the fear of the Lord that motivated these parents. I think it's a true statement to say that the only way to fight fear is fear itself. That is, that a fear of the Lord is the surefire way to cast out a fear of man. A fear that we all struggle with, that we all live with this concept is beautifully displayed in the story of moses over and over again how the fear of god outweighs the fear of man we see this in the the hebrew midwives if you remember right before moses is born the pharaoh had told the midwives of the israelites to take care of this problem to be killing these hebrew boys as they are born And what did the Hebrew midwives do? Instead, they said, Nope, not going to do it. And they would wait and they would show up after these boys were already born. They missed it. And when Pharaoh called them in and said, Hey, what's going on? How come you're not doing what I told you to do? What did they say? Well, these Hebrew women are vigorous, they said. They are birthing these children before we could even get there. Didn't have a chance. They did this, the text says, because they did not fear Pharaoh. But their fear of the Lord far outweighed their fear of Pharaoh. Moses' parents are another example. But even Moses himself is an example of having a fear of the Lord that outweighs fear of man. We see this in verse 24 through 26. Where the author of Hebrews says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the, Pharaoh's, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses' fear of God trumped all else. His fear of the Lord was so great that he said, I would rather identify myself with this suffering, enslaved people than to enjoy all the rights, all the benefits, all the blessings that come from being in Pharaoh's house. He said, no, I reject that. Even though there is pleasure there, the text says, but because of his fear of the Lord, he knew what kind of pleasure that was, that that was a fleeting pleasure, that that was sin. And he chose rather, because of his fear of the Lord and out of faith in the promises of God, knowing what he was going to do for his people, chose to identify himself with the people of God. Moses' faith drove him to make certain choices. It chose him to choose mistreatment over fleeting pleasure, to to choose following the Lord rather than sin. It drove him to choose the reproach of Christ over the treasure of Egypt. And why would he do this? Why would he make this choice? Because as the text says in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ, Christ greater wealth. Than all the treasure of Egypt. It's as we've said over and over again throughout the book of Hebrews, the point that we ought to see is that identity with Christ is of such great value, the kingdom of God, like the treasure hidden in the field that the man goes and finds and then sells all that he has in joy and buys that field so that he might have the treasure. Why? Because the treasure is of far greater value. This is the point that, that the Author of Hebrews would have us understand and that Moses understood that all the treasure of Egypt was not worth it it paled in comparison to the reward that is ours in Christ Jesus to reward that comes through the promises of God Moses chose to identify himself with the Lord rather than to identify himself with the world James writes for us in James chapter 4 verses 4 through 10 telling of this is telling us of the necessity of this principle in our lives. James 4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says... Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is what Moses did. By faith, Moses humbled himself before the Lord. By faith, Moses chose to identify himself with the Lord and with his people rather than with the world, because Moses understood that there is no middle ground. We think sometimes that we can ride the fence that we can identify ourselves with God and yet somehow manage to identify ourselves with the world, remain friends with the world and yet remain faithful to God. And what we will soon realize is that there is no fence there to ride. That is no place that anyone can stay for long. It will eat you alive to try and live that way. Our call is to live in identity with God, to live in identity with Christ. To identify ourselves with him rather than with the world. For we cannot serve two masters. This is what we ought to examine ourselves of. Whether or not this is true of us. Are we identifying ourselves with Christ? Are we identifying ourselves with the people of God? In the way that we live? In the way that we talk? In the message that we are sending forth through our lives and through our words? Or would it be the case that everyone would be surprised around us to know that we are a Christian? That's a tough question to answer. It's tough in our workplaces, in the world around us, to live in this way. Why is it tough? Because to live this way is to bring on reproach. It is to bring on the reproach of Christ. But church family, let me assure you, trust the same thing that Moses trusts, that reward, the reward that is yours in Christ Jesus is far greater. The suffering that we face on this earth is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us in Christ Jesus. Trust in that. Identify yourself with Christ by faith. And by this, God will bless you as he always blesses his people. The second product of faith that we see is that by faith, God vindicates his people. We see this in verses 29 through 30. Where the author says, by faith, in verse 29, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. When you think about this story, this is where the the Israelites, as they were leaving Egypt, came to the Red Sea, and, and the Lord miraculously parted the Red Sea. He made dry land for them to walk along, and he withheld the waters so that they might cross over safely to the other side. And when you put yourself in the shoes of these Israelites and you begin to think about it, about what it would have been like to walk down on the sea floor with millions and millions of gallons of destruction being held back on either side, we can see how this act in and of itself would have taken a great deal of faith. It would have taken a great deal of trust in the Lord to step down into this journey through the Red Sea trusting that the Lord was going to hold back the waters. But we also have to keep in mind that it was not the faith of these Israelites that was holding back the waters. It was not their faith that was holding back the Red Sea from engulfing them the way it did the Egyptians. It was the power of God. It was the object of their faith that held back the waters it was their faith that motivated them to go forward, trusting in his goodness because he is good and he is for us. If you remember a few weeks ago, the illustration of the ice that I gave, that when you go out on a frozen pond and you, and you skate around or, or run around on a frozen pond and that ice doesn't break, you are having trust. You are having faith that that ice will not break. But it is not your faith that keeps the ice from breaking. What keeps the ice from breaking? The strength of the ice. The reality of the depth and the security of the ice. No matter how great your faith is, you step out on thin ice, you're going down. The point here is that the faith of the Israelites is not what was holding back the waters, but rather it was the power of God in which their faith, in which their trust was placed that held back those waters. And by faith, they were taken through to the other side in safety. But also in this illustration of faith and what, pro- and what it produces, we see what becomes of the enemies of God. The author sees fit and necessary to add in here that not only were the people brought safely to the other side of the Red Sea, but that the Egyptians, the enemies of God, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned we see here what becomes of the enemies of God. The waters of the Red Sea are a picture for us of the wrath of God coming upon unrighteousness. The people of God were brought safely through to the other side by their faith, while the Egyptians, who were absent such faith in Yahweh, were crushed under the raging waters. They were crushed by the wrath of God. What a picture of salvation this is. That by faith we pass through the waters of God's wrath. They are held back. They are stayed by the power of God. And we are not taken over by God's wrath. Not because of anything in us. But because of our faith in his promises. We are brought safely through to the other side. And without that faith there is only wrath to come. It is likely that the Israelites during their time in Slavery felt the same way that David did in Psalm 13. In Psalm 13, David writes in verses 1 and 2, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This is likely the question that the Israelites regularly thought while they were in captivity in Egypt. Lord, how long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? How long will we be under oppression against by this evil, wicked nation? And we can trust that the answer to this question is and always is only for a time. Only for a time will the Lord allow evil, will the Lord allow uh, wickedness to remain and to go unpunished. Only for a time will it seem that our enemies are exalted over us. But a day will come when the wrath of God will fall upon unrighteousness. And only those who are united to him by faith will see through to be seen through to the other side. We see this as well in the destruction of Jericho. In verse 30, he says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. In the same way that the Lord vindicated his people and destroyed the enemy that sought to overtake them as they were being chased out of Egypt, now we see the same vindication and destruction is sure also to visit those who would stand in the way of God's promises, who would stand in the way of the people of God. That is not the place you want to be. In opposition to God's people, standing in the way of God's will, of God's promises is not the place That you would like to be and wrath fell upon them as well as it did the Egyptians. We see here that one thing that faith produces is that God vindicates his people. But the third thing that we see produced by faith is that by faith God is merciful to his people. We see this in in two separate verses First of all, in verse 28, we see the mercy of God in saving his people, specifically saving them from the wrath of God through the blood of the Lamb. Verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What a beautiful picture of the gospel Passover is. That these people, in faith, put, put blood of, the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And because of this, because their, the blood was on the doorpost, they were covered by the blood. And therefore, the wrath of God, when it came to visit Egypt, would pass over them. Because in faith, they put the blood on the lamb. They trusted in the promises of God and obeyed in faith. By faith, they are saved from the wrath of God by the blood of the Lamb in the same way we are today. Not a single person has ever escaped the wrath of God who has not placed the blood on the doorpost. Both in the original Passover and today for us spiritually as well see, the Passover serves as a picture for us. We are not called, we are not commanded to go home to kill a lamb and to spread blood on our doorposts. That would be foolish and weird. But we are called to trust in the one, trust in the true lamb of God whose blood has been shed for us. That by his blood, the angel of destruction will pass over us. Wrath will not be visited upon us, but we will be saved. We will be spared. We will be brought through safely by our faith. In Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God. By faith, mercy is bestowed upon those who are set apart. Marked by faith and the accompanying obedience. Even on those who do not deserve it, which is what we see in verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies Here we have Rahab presented to us that she was spared from the wrath of God. And what is it that caused God to spare Rahab and her house when the Lord destroyed Jericho? Well, we see from our passage that it was not because of Rahab's moral upright living, was it? Was Rahab a moral person? No. What does the text say? Rahab was a prostitute. She was wicked she was a sinner she was dirty and yet what we see is true of the mercy of God is that by faith mercy is bestowed upon those even who don't deserve it and once again church family is that not good news for us for which one of us in here can reckon themselves better than Rahab we might think we are at times we might think we're better than Rahab well I've, I've I'm not a prostitute, right? But then when you begin to compare yourself, not to Rahab or the worst person you can think of, but rather to the holiness of God, the righteous standard that we see in his word, you begin to realize and say, along with the prophet, Oh, wretched man that I am. We see we are no better than Rahab. We don't deserve the mercy of God any more than Rahab did. And yet the good news of the gospel is that it is bestowed on us just as freely as it is bestowed upon Rahab the prostitute. It was because of her faith that was demonstrated by her actions and giving a warm welcome to these spies, to the people of God, because she trusted, believed God, and feared God. You see in the story in Joshua that, that she tells the spies saying, we heard of what happened to these other cities who stood against you, these other kingdoms. We heard about what happened to the Egyptians at the Red Sea And the people here, their hearts melted because of it. But Rahab, because of the faith that God had given her, said, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to identify myself with these people. I'm going to identify myself with the God who conquers his enemies rather than with these people. And by faith, she is saved. She has shown mercy. Speaking of Rahab, John Calvin says this, He says, it hence follows that those who are most exalted are of no account before God unless they have faith. And that on the other hand, those who are hardly allowed a place among the profane and the reprobate are by faith introduced into the company of angels. This is true of us. What do we deserve but God's wrath? For we are wicked, we are evil, we are sinful people. Even those of us who know God's grace, even those of us who are united to Christ, know our sinfulness even still. And yet here is something to think about. What separated Rahab from all the rest of the people of Jericho? For that matter, from all the people of Egypt as well. It was not her holy living leading up to this point. It was not the the right rituals and sacrifices that she did. It was not the right clothes that she wore. It was only her faith. How is it that we escape the wrath of God? How is it that we find mercy? By faith, and by faith in Christ alone. But here it gets even more amazing. This faith by which we are saved is a gift from God. Lest you wonder, how is it that I can work this about? How is it that I can exercise this kind of faith? What do I need to do? I don't want to face the wrath of God. I don't want to be crushed by his wrath. I don't want to be numbered among the Egyptians or among the inhabitants of Jericho. How can I make this kind of faith happen? And the answer is that you can't. This is not the kind of faith that we can somehow produce in and of ourselves. It is a faith that is granted us by God as a gift. Faith itself is a product of God's grace and his loving kindness toward us, his unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Faith is not of your own doing. What is it? It is the gift of God. The title of this sermon is What faith produces. And we see great examples of this in these verses. But I think that uh, perhaps an equally as appropriate title might be. Who produces faith. Because that is just as central to these verses as anything else. That the faith that saves these people. The faith that produces the blessings of God. The faith by which God vindicates his people. The faith by which we find God's mercy is granted us by him it is he who produces this faith in us it's like those homemade coupon books that children will make and like give to their parents as a gift that says like okay this for this coupon i will uh give you a back rub or or for this coupon i'll give you a high five or for this coupon i'll do the dishes they give us the coupons and and they are not only the ones who are going to do the thing but they also gave us the coupon gave us access to that thing right That's like what God does for us in Christ Jesus. That's that's what God does for us in faith. He says, here is all the things, as we see in Hebrews 11, here is what faith produces. All of this can be true of you by faith. And guess what? Here's the faith necessary. Here is the faith that I'm going to grant you, by which I'm going to bring these things about, these promises for you. Gift itself is a grace. It is granted us as a gift from God. Far too often we think of faith exclusively in terms of something that we exercise, a force that we exert. But what is far more true is that faith is a gift to be received. If you have faith in the promises of God today, then all these benefits of faith are yours. All the promises of God are yours and are true of you. All that faith produces is yours and now brother sister live in light of that and if you are here in this place today and you do not have faith in the promises of god the good news is that god is able to give it to those who ask not only is he able he is willing remember the cry of the father in mark 9 whose son was possessed by the unclean demon he said to jesus if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us And what did Jesus Jesus say to him? He said, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then what's the father's response to this statement? Verse 24 of Mark 9 says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Church family, God is willing and able to grant us saving faith. To grow us in our confidence, to grow us in our faith in Him, to grow us in our belief. Trust in Him. Ask Him for that faith. Ask Him for that belief. And it is yours. And not only is faith yours, but all that it produces, all of the benefits that come along with faith are yours as well in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.